Well, good morning, First Free. My name is Jordan Cron. I am the student ministries pastor. Um, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that, that prayed for, for us and uh, the group of students and leaders that went with me uh, to challenge conference in Kansas City from July 3rd through the 8th. Um, July 3rd through the 8th, there was a group of, of 43 of us that went to Kansas City, and we went to what's known as Challenge Conference that happens every two years. Um, that's our denomination's uh, student conference, student national conference, uh, where students gather around from around the nation, from EFCA churches, for, uh, for teaching from some world-class uh, speakers, uh, for, for worship, for equipping labs, uh, for, for games, for service projects, uh, for prayer walk opportunities. Um, just for, for a host of opportunities for them to grow in the gospel. And, we're, and I'm thankful and blessed for how many of us prayed for uh, God's saving and transforming work in the hearts and lives of our students. Um, just some highlights from the conference. Uh, there was a lot of fun that happened uh, during our time in Kansas City. Some things that I'll never forget. Things like uh, dominating Andrew Rausch from Nine Square. If you'll see him, you'll have to remind him about this. Uh, things like uh, watching students uh, approach other random students from around our nation with cheesy pickup lines. I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but it is hilarious to watch and laugh at them as they do this. Uh, things like getting hit in the face with a ball during uh, Kill Ball. It's a game that our youth group loved to play during the, during the time of challenge. Um, countless fun memories. Awesome opportunities for us to be able to connect. Uh, but also uh, countless God moments as well. Um, it was just encouraging to see our students um, growing in their, their love for one another and relationship with one another. Um, it was powerful to hear uh, the testimony of, of Christopher Watt, who was a, uh, a former uh, gay-swinging, uh, become HIV-positive uh, drug lord, uh, regional drug dealer. Maybe not drug lord. He probably wouldn't describe himself that way. But he had he'd been arrested with nine tons of marijuana and spent a, a season in prison. And during that time, uh, God saved him. And, and transformed his life and became a, went, went to seminary and became a professor at Moody Bible Institute where some of our students attend every now and then. Um, and, and it was just powerful to hear his testimony. If you want to look up that or um, a host of other speakers that spoke to us, they're on the EFCA uh, w- uh, national website. Um, but it was awesome getting to uh, just see students go to equipping labs and receive instruction on their own initiative. It was cool getting to uh, do some prayer walking. Uh, my partners were uh, Micaiah Wolf and Cameron Thames were praying for people, uh, just random strangers on the streets of Kansas City. Um, some awesome God moments during our time and challenge. So thank you, you guys, for praying for us. And um, it was exciting to see God at work in the hearts and lives of our students. Um, so today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 19. Proverbs 6, verses 1 to 19. And we're continuing our, our look at the book of Proverbs. We're continuing to receive the wisdom that King Solomon has for us. King Solomon is addressing his, his sons, uh, but we get the opportunity to listen in and to learn from Solomon and his wisdom for his sons, because it's not just for his sons, it's for the people of God, it's for the church as well. Um, and so what's happening in our context that's surrounding uh, Proverbs chapter 6? Uh, just this last week, uh, we had Pastor George, who got to walk us through uh, Solomon warning his sons against the adulterous woman. Uh, Solomon warned his sons to keep far from her, don't go near her. Um, that there's consequences uh, for the adulterous woman, that she'll ruin our, our honor, she'll steal our years, she'll destroy us. We were warned against her. 
But this week, our warnings are going to shift. We're going to see another series of warnings uh, from Solomon to his sons. We're going to see three warnings in particular this morning. Um, But before we look at these warnings, I want you to think of a couple of scenarios with me. So consider these with me. Um, What would you do in these two situations? Uh, So let's imagine one day you're in your kitchen and you're uh, cleaning. Um, you are, you're scrubbing, you're looking for food that's found its place in various places. And and if you're anything like me with three little kids, you're finding food in places that you never really thought food could be. It's one of those mysteries of cleaning the kitchen. Uh, when you find food and you're thinking, we've cleaned the kitchen several times and we haven't eaten this for weeks. How does this remain on my floor, under the table. It's incredible where kids can find places to stash their food from dinners. But you're, you're cleaning your kitchen, you're getting your Mr. Clean on or Mrs. Clean on, um, when suddenly you turn around and you notice that mysterious cupboard from underneath your sink and it is wide open and your 14-month-old toddler son has his mouth wrapped around some sort of chemical that you're not quite sure what it is. Not speaking from experience, that is. Never, never. Um, But hypothetically speaking, what would you do in this scenario? Or let's consider you uh, going down one of the streets of Wichita. This is a second scenario, a different scenario. Um, You're driving driving your car, your favorite car. For me, it's a 1998 Toyota Tacoma V6 two-wheel drive. It's my first car that I ever owned. It's really a sweet, sweet pickup. Um, But I'm driving that pickup down the road. You're driving your car down the road when suddenly one of those famous uh, Kansas rainstorms happen. I'm talking about one of those that makes you think, has the flood returned? Is this what's happening? Uh, one, one of those floods where you put your windshield wipers on ludicrous speed. I'm sure you all have that. And you still can't quite see out your windows. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but, but as you're driving your car, we remember uh, Wichita drainage isn't exactly the greatest in situations like these. Um, then when you see one of those uh, special signs, subject to flooding. You should always pay attention when you see one of those. And then you look ahead and you see that there once was a road, which now has become a small pond, small lake. Well, what would you do in the scenario? Well, what would I do in the scenario, scenario one? I'd listen to the warning label. I'd take a look at whatever chemical my son had his mouth wrapped around. And I would read the warning label. I would heed the warning label. I would take that warning label very seriously. Do, do we need to call the poison hotline? Do I need to flush out his mouth? Uh, do I need to take him to the hospital immediately? Are there consequences for him uh, for, for sticking his mouth around this chemical? Um, or, or if you're driving on the road, you should, you should correct yourself. You should heed the warning sign and you should find another route. It's best not to try to take your car uh, through that mini lake that is just formed on that road. These warnings keep us safe from dangerous situations. These warnings are a blessing to us in society, helping to correct us from various situations. Well, in Proverbs 6, verses 1 to 19, Solomon is slapping a warning label on a few things. Solomon is going to warn us about what will hurt us. Solomon will warn us about what will destroy us. And Solomon will warn us even about what God hates. So here's the structure for these warnings. We're going to see three, three things that Solomon is going to warn his sons against. Three, three persons that we are being warned against in particular. And we're going to see this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 19. Um, if you would stand, if you're able, we're going to read this together for the reading of God's word. If you've got the, the pew Bible in front of you, you can pull that out. And it's going to be on page 530 in your pew Bible. Um, you're going to look for the big six. That's Proverbs chapter 6. 
And we're going to read that together this morning. Proverbs 6, verses 1 to 19 says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your, caught in the words of, uh, your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond all healing. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's go ahead and dive into the three warnings that Solomon is going to give us from Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to see our first warning in verses 1 to 5, and that warning is this. Warning, get out of what could destroy your financial future. Warning, get out of what could destroy your financial future. We'll see this problem described in verses 1 and 2, and there's three characters in this problem. There's three people that make up this scenario. There's the stranger, there's you, then there's your neighbor. So let's walk through these three characters. The first character being the stranger, and your stranger is the one who needs a loan. He needs money for something. Uh, perhaps this is a business loan. Uh, maybe this is a chariot loan, sort of the ancient Israel version of a car loan. Either way, the stranger needs a loan. The second character is you. And you are putting up security for the stranger's loan. You're backing the loan. You're co-signing the loan. If the stranger defaults, you are going to pay the debt. If the stranger fails to pay, you as the co-signer are going to face the consequences. The third character is your neighbor. The neighbor is giving the loan. He's the lender. So the neighbor is the, the cash cow. He is Bank of America. Uh, he's Scrooge McDuck, if you will, giving out from his piles of cash. Um, so there's three characters being the stranger who is borrowing... There's you who's backing the loan, and then there's your neighbor who is lending the loan. Now, a few questions about this text. Why would an ancient Israelite put put up security for the stranger's loan? Why would you, because it's you in this scenario, why would you co-sign? Why would you back the loan? Well, there's a couple of reasons why an ancient Israelite person might co-sign this stranger's loan. 
um, the, the first reason might simply be to care for the stranger. God called the people of Israel to love the stranger. He constantly remind them, you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. You were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Uh, For example, in Leviticus 19.34, it says this. God says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love this stranger as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. A person in ancient Israel might simply think that they just need this loan, that they need these resources. It's a way to love them, and so I might be able to care for them by backing this loan. So the first reason might simply just be care. Another potential reason could be self-interest. A common way of handling these loans was that if you took out a loan and then you had someone who co-signed the loan for you, Um, that person who co-signed the loan would get paid for co-signing the loan. So essentially, if you're backing this loan, if you're co-signing it, you're making a quick buck. Uh, You get paid for for doing very little. It's fast cash. It's a quick reward. Just co-sign the loan, and suddenly it's payday. But but as we look at the text, neither neither of these issues seems to be what's central here. So So what's the problem here? What's the issue? Well, also, the problem isn't simply giving a loan out. In the Old Testament, there was provision um, in Old Testament law for for one to be able to receive loans and to give loans. You could have loans under certain conditions. Uh, For example, you could read in Exodus 22, verses 25 to 27, or Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 to 18. Um, But both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, there's provision for loans. So what's the problem here? Well, there's a couple analogies that help us to see in the text what's the problem for these loans. So, for example, in verse 5, we see there's the gazelle that the hunter is about to kill. Also, there's the bird that the fowler is about to kill. So what's the problem with the scenario? What's the problem with these loans? Well, the problem with this situation is that what's happening here could kill the cosigner financially, that the loan can devastate them if this this person defaults and fails to pay. It can destroy. It's too large of an amount. It's too great a risk. If the bank comes after you, it could destroy your financial future. And I love the imagery here. Hunting hunting is awesome imagery here with with, with the bird and the fowler, with the gazelle and the hunter. Um, just, Just think with me. Have you ever been hunting before? I consider myself somewhat of a hunting amateur. Um, my hunting experience is very limited. Um, but as a child, I loved to hunt frogs. Um, it, at my house, I lived at 1606 Blue Spruce, Derby, Kansas, 67037, uh, growing up. And by my house as a child, there was a, a, a pond. And near this pond, when I was a child, there was once a thriving frog population. Let me, let me refrain or repeat once. Um, but when my friends and I got a hold of our Red Rider BB guns, that frog population was completely decimated. Thriving frog population, no more. But I can even just imagine myself right now as a child sitting there, uh, Red Rider BB gun in hand, thinking uh, quotes from certain movies, you know, like Dirty Harry. I uh, got, got aimed on that frog thinking, go ahead, punk, make my day, you know, or, or to quote Toy Story for the, for the children. 
reach for the skies, you know, just right there, ready, about ready to take this out, thinking, ready, aim, fire. Well, for some of us, we're risking much financially. We're over-leveraged, we're speculating, we're risking too much. We potentially could be like that frog at the end of my barrel. You could be at risk for getting killed financially. You could be in unwise financial situations. And so what if this is you? Some of us are aware of this. Most of us typically not. But, but if we were to reflect on this and consider, what if I was in a risky financial situation? Um, what if your investments were shady? You've allocated your finances in a way that could even destroy your financial future. What should you do? Well, verses 3 to 5 are quite clear from the text. Get out of this mess right now. To quote Monopoly, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Immediately get out of the risky financial situation. Verses 3 to 5 repeat the same words about the situation, saying, save yourself. Save yourself. Verse 3 says to plead urgently with your neighbor. Beg with those that you're doing business with to release you. Get out of commitments that could destroy you. Verse 4 says, give your eyes no sleep. Don't even sleep. Get out of this risky financial situation immediately. Now, let's be honest. For upwards of 90% of us, this might feel quite irrelevant. The, the dangers of co-signing alone don't feel all too real for you. So what if huge risky financial situations might not feel like an immediate priority for you right now? Well, if you've, if you've checked out, check back in. I want you to consider this. Solomon is challenging us to use our finances, what God has given us, in a way that is wise and thoughtful. That if we had to sit down with you, open up your checkbook, would we think that you're stewarding your, your finances, what God has given you, in a, in a wise and right way? If we had to log on to you to interestbank.com, got to look through your credit card statement, would we think you're godly? And how you're handling your finances. If we checked your Venmo app, got to flip through that and see where you're allocating your money. What do we think? They're, they're a godly steward of their resources. Solomon wants us to be wise and thoughtful with our money. Um, so why does God care? What, what do our finances matter to God? Well, there's a couple of biblical reasons um, that we could consider. Countless more than this, but I'll give us a couple. Um, one, one reason God cares about how we steward our finances is finances are a way for us to, to love and provide for our family. That, that for us to put our finances at risk, it not only can devastate you, but can also devastate um, children. It can devastate maybe some older loved ones that you might need to take care of at certain points in your life. That our finances are a way for us to love and care for our family, and that's, that's one reason why God wants us to be wise and thoughtful with our finances. Um, another reason is because wise stewardship, using our money... Um, thoughtfully can enable us to be a part of God's purposes in this world. Um, that it can enable us to, to, to give towards the making of disciples in the church. It can enable us to give towards the sending out of missionaries to, to the tribes and tongues and nations that do not have access to the gospel. Um, it can enable us to give to, to the poor and the needy in our community. Uh, us using our finances in a wise and thoughtful way is a way in which we can be a part of God and his purposes. So our first warning was about, was about risky financial dealings. 
let's take a look at our second warning. It's going to be in verses 6 to 11. And this is another one against self-inflicted poverty. And the warning is this. Don't be a sluggard and become poor. In verses 6 to 11. Don't be a sluggard and become poor. Okay, so um, who is Solomon addressing in this challenge? In verse 6, he addresses the sluggard. So uh, sluggard is not exactly common vernacular today. You're not late, regularly going around uh, addressing people and saying, Hi, sluggard, how are you doing? Um, what is a sluggard? Who is a sluggard? And, and I'll pause and look at three ways um, that Solomon describes a sluggard. One in our text and two else uh, in the book of Proverbs. Um, but one way that Proverbs describes a sluggard is that they reject work to sleep. They reject work to sleep. Uh, verse 9 it's in our text, uh, chapter 6, says this. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The sluggard does not want to wake up from their nap in order to get to work. The sluggard won't get out of their bed. They skip their job to sleep. A second way that Proverbs describes a sluggard is that they make excuses. This is later on in the book of Proverbs, uh, but this is Proverbs 26, verse 13. It says, the sluggard says, and I'll just say this loudly, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. I can imagine that excitement and his excuse for um, him not getting to work. But the, the, the sluggard makes excuses for not being able to work. It's excuses, excuses, excuses. Um, if it's not the lion, it's this. If it's not the lion, it's that. There's a laundry list of excuses that the sluggard has to keep him from working. A third way that the Proverbs describes the sluggard is that they, they just simply give up. Uh, Proverbs 26:15 says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears, it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Very, very visual imagery, but you can, you can imagine someone going like, you know, reaching for the chicken wing. <sighs> Too much work. Uh, the, the idea being that they, they quit. They give up. They give in. Even in little things, even like trying to, to lift that chicken wing up to their mouth, they give up and they give in. So overall, the sluggard is slow to work. He's idle. He's lazy. He doesn't want to step up to take on responsibility. But how should the sluggard work? What should the sluggard's work ethic be like? This is where um, the, Solomon begins in this section in Proverbs chapter 6. But in, in verses 6 to 8, Solomon gives a, a positive example of work. The ant. So what, what should we learn to the ant? How is the ant an example for hard work? And, and there's two things in particular that we can see in the text that Sol Solomon gives us for, for what we can learn from the ant. Uh, the first thing that we can learn from the ant is that the ant works hard without a leader. Uh, verse 7 says this. It says the ant works without having any chief, any officer, any ruler. Um, the, the ant doesn't need a boss to, to get things done. The ant doesn't need to be told what to do. The ant just steps up. The ant loves to get things done. He loves to take initiative. The second thing that we can learn from the ant, um, we see in verse 8, the ant prepares ahead. The ant is preparing and gathering to have food. The ant looks ahead. The ant's a planner. The ant gets ready for what's to come, and his preparation pays off. And, and I love this animal imagery. Once again, uh, the ant is fantastic imagery for, for the diligent work that you and I are called to as the people of God. Um, one thing that illustrates this well for me for the ant, um, I'd encourage you not now, but later, 
go to YouTube, not now, and search Ant Hill Molten Aluminum. Has anybody, anybody seen these Ant Hill Molten Aluminum structures that are made? So let me tell you about the process. So uh, the, the, the artist uh, melts aluminum, artists, so, so kids don't do this at home, but they melt aluminum in this metal bucket. I don't know how they do it. I, I've got no idea. I, I didn't really walk through the process, just saw what they did. Uh, but then they pour this aluminum into the ant hill and they let it go down um, into the ant area, cavern, where the ants hang out. Um, but, but what happens is the, the molten aluminum, it cools, and then the artist digs up this molten aluminum structure that has formed there. And let me tell you, what, what forms there just demonstrates how God has created these creatures and just the, the industriousness of them. Uh, often at times it's, it's taller than me. Often at times it's wider than me, that this molten aluminum structure that's formed, the, the, the caverns and areas that the ants have gone to, to create this, this structure is just incredible. And it demonstrates and illustrates just, just the diligence of ants and how hard they work. Um, so we're to work like the ant, but what, what's the problem with being a, a sluggard? What's the negative? What's the consequences here? What's at risk? Well, verse 12 gives us the consequences for our laziness. Verse 12 says this, that poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That, that for us to be lazy, that for us to neglect, for us to live like the sluggard, we'll lose what we have. We'll face want, we'll face need. Laziness costs us. And so what's this mean for us? This call to work like the ant, the warning to, to, to avoid being the sluggard. What's this mean for us? How should we work hard? How should we call, respond to this call? Well, Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, because this isn't simply for the, the business person. This is for the stay-at-home parent. This is for the college student. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let me encourage you to ask this question in response to the call to work hard, for, for, for the call to, to live like the ant. Consider this. Do I work hard? Do I work hard? Do I work like I'm working for God? Do I work like God is my boss? Today in this world, there's a plethora of ways and distractions for us to neglect this call to work hard as if we are working for God. Technology enables distractions for us. And for us to neglect this call. Just think, when you sit down at your office, when you sit, sit down at your, your place of work, um, if you've got the computer in front of you or whatever environment that is, coffee in one hand, phone in the other, um, just, just think of, of how much time you could spend avoiding work looking at your phone. YouTube, uh, personal email, uh, Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, and, and the list goes on and on and on for what we can distract ourselves from and what can cost us the opportunity to work hard as if we're working for God. Uh, for, for me, to be a little personal, it's Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Anybody else? So when it comes to uh, the Marvel shows and the Star Wars shows, Disney Plus calls out to me. Jordan. Jordan. Star Wars show is on. <laughs> it's another thing calling out to me. It's a distraction uh, from me for me to be able to work hard as if I'm working for God. Uh, technology is a distraction for us to work hard as if we're working from God. So do you work hard like you are working for God? We are to work like the ant. We are to work hard for God's glory. 
So that's our second warning, and now we're going to go on to our third warning. So, so our first warning was about money. Our second warning was about being a sluggard. And in the third warning, we should see a, a series of escalations. This is going to be the strongest warning yet. Uh, this warning would have this warning label would have a skull and crossbones on it. Um, it should be marked with the words "sudden death." Um, if the first two warning labels were like uh, being on maybe uh, Windex, and then there's aspirin. Uh, we, we should read as if this warning label is on the rat poison. We should take this warning label very seriously. So our third warning is extreme warning. Don't be the one who destroys unity. Extreme warning. Don't be the one who destroys unity. This is in verses 12 to 19. So the question is, who, who is Solomon warning us against? Well, our final section really has two parts. It's divided into two parts. First part being verses 12 to 14, second part being 15 to 19, but both parts have the same focus. In both parts, Solomon builds up to the same person. Uh, we can see this escalation in 12 to 14. Solomon describes this person as worthless, wicked, perverted. Who is this person? Well, in verse 14, Solomon, Solomon builds to the person who is continually sowing discord. Or once again, in verse 19, Solomon looks at what God hates. And in verse 19, Solomon builds up to the abomination that's the central focus, the one who destroys discord among brothers. Solomon twice escalates towards this person who creates conflict. And Solomon puts an extreme warning label on the one who destroys unity. So just how serious is this warning label? How serious should we take this? Well, the first two warnings were harsh. They can harm, they can hurt, they can kill. But in verses 12 to 19, the language totally changes. The author is totally negative. He describes this person in completely negative terms. Um, before, in the first two section, sections, he was looking at the son. He used the word you, the, the second person singular. So there, there's this personal engagement. But in the third section, he distances himself a little bit and he uses the word he. Begins to distance his pers- himself as he's describing this person. In verse 16, it even involves the Lord and his hatred. It involves the one that the Lord sees in an abomination. So Solomon has escalated our warnings. We are to take this person very seriously. Well, what's this person like? In Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, this is a section that Pastor Green uh, covered previously. Um, There, Jordan looked at how there was a call to align our total bodies with wisdom. In in chapter 4, he looked at how we were to align our our ears, our eyes, our heart, our mouth, our mind, our feet. All of us, all of our bodies is to seek wisdom, we saw there. But but now notice in 6, verses 12 to 19... How it describes the total corruption of this person's body. Every part of him is wicked. So for example, verse 13. His eyes weak and his feet point. Or in verse 14, his heart is perverted. Or in verse 17, his eyes are proud. His tongue lies. His hands shed innocent blood. Or in verse 18, his heart makes wicked plans and his feet run to evil. Twice the corruption of the heart is emphasized. In verse 19, it said that he breathes out lies. We see that his whole body, his whole person, all that he is, is opposed to God. 
This should cause us to pause. The seriousness of this. We should ask, where are we facing division today? Where do we see this divisive person? And time and time again, the church in our nation, I felt, is too comfortable with those who spread disunity. So often, this heart of disunity is found in us as well. Just think about some of the most recent divisive issues in the church. Thinking about politics, thinking about COVID-19. Now, this isn't a Republican issue. This isn't a Democrat issue. This is a us issue. This is a church issue. We so often were careless about what we promote. We might support those who, unintentionally, we might support those who spread lies or accidentally spread misinformation on social media. So often we're careless in what we support and promote. Or even at times we lock arms with those who are divisive. We support those who slander. We rally against the rally behind those who are proud and arrogant. And at times we even support those who have even caused the loss of innocent life. And so often we're okay with this because we feel like we're on the, the right side. But so often we as a church in this nation, so often I love what God hates. So often we support the divisive person, but we can't support what God hates. It's also important for us to consider, um, what, what if we are the divisive person? What if we're the one who sows discord? What if we're the one who causes disunity? There's a number of ways that we could spin this. Sometimes we see ourselves as just people who tell it like it is. I, I'm someone who's a truth teller. I, I got to stand up for what's right, no matter what the cost. Perhaps we like to, to make relationships interesting. We may be a person who at times we just feel like spreading a little lies here and there might spice things up. It's not that big of a deal. Well, it's important for us to consider, are we the divisive person? And verse 16 is very clear. The Lord hates the divisive person. That's scary. I'm not going to win any popularity awards for saying that God hates someone. No one wants to amen in a sermon where we talk about who God hates. We often say, God loves the sinner, God hates the sin. And many of us will be offended by this idea. But verses 16 and 19 are clear. It's not just the sin of the divisive person that's hated. It's the divisive person himself. Verse 15 tells us that this divisive person will face calamity. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, the divisive person is under God's wrath. There's judgment, torment, no leaving hell. At death, our, our eternal destination is fixed. Uh, apart from Christ, the divisive person is under God's hatred. But God, but God. But, but, but the divisive person can turn to God and trust in Jesus. In Christ, we see God demonstrating his love for his enemies. Jesus is the propitiation for all who trust in him. Write that word down. It's a, it's a big word. It's a important word, propitiation. But be, in being our propitiation, Jesus takes the wrath that you and I deserve, that we deserve. Jesus, as our propitiation, receives God's fierce anger. 
And he does this through our debt, through his death on the cross. And Jesus is our propitiation so that by faith we can be a loved child of God. By faith, the divisive person needs to turn to Jesus, to move from hated to child, enemy to friend, alienated to reconciled, lost to found, dead to alive. The divisive person needs to turn to Jesus, submit our rebellious hearts to God. Let Jesus take God's hatred that that we justly deserve. In conclusion, Solomon reminds us how we've been fools as we've walked through this text. We have misused God's resources, gotten into foolish financial situations. We've been lazy, we've been sluggards. So often we've been ones who sow discord, spread lies to hurt others. But God was not a fool. God was not irresponsible with his heavenly resources. God faithfully stewarded his heavenly resources that you and I might be forgiven of our sins, that you and I might receive the righteousness of Christ. The Father paid the ransom to free us from sin's consequences. This payment was not made with money. It was not done with silver. It was not done with gold. Our our ransom was paid by the very blood of Christ that bought the salvation of all who trust in him. And God was no sluggard in our salvation. He was not lazy to provide a way for us to him. God was a wise planner to provide a way that we might be saved. God was proactive. It was before the foundation of the world that God chose us in Christ. It was before the heavens and the earth were made that he predestined us for adoption as sons. It was always the father's plans to send his son that believers in Christ might be forgiven of our sins. And the work of the gospel was not done in disunity and strife between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was no discord. God was in total unity in his plan to save us. It was the Father who sent the Son. It was the Son who came seeking the will of the Father. It was the Spirit who came and empowered the work of the Son. God was united in his plan to save us from our sins. God's work in the gospel was all a part of God's wise and good plan. Have you received the salvation found only in God's wise plan by faith? Join me in prayer. God, you call us to faithfully steward our finances. God, you call us to use our money wisely. God, would you help us to surrender our money to you? Our investments should be yours. Our loans should be surrendered to you. Our businesses should be laid at your feet. God, help us to surrender all of our lives to you. And God, you call us to work hard. God, help us to work hard like the ant. God, give us the mindset that you are the boss of our work. Help us to work like we are serving Christ. And God, your heart is that your people would be one. God, help us to put away anger, wrath, malice, and slander. God, allow us to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. God, allow us to bear with one another. Help us to put death, the desire to cause division, to stir up disunity, to make make trouble among the family of God. God, help us to seek unity. And God, we thank you that Whenever we fall short, there is forgiveness of sins and eternal life 
found in Jesus Christ. God, help us to run to him for our salvation. In his blood, may we find mercy, hope, and forgiveness of sins. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.